911. What is your emergency? Ladies never kiss and tell, but we do kill and tell. ghosty socks and I'm sitting on my ghost blanket and I could not be happier and speaking of happy my caffeine dealer of the day was this place called farmhouse roasters which I definitely mentioned last season but if I didn't they have really cute holiday and like seasonal flavors so their new flavors this month are Frankenstein pumpkin patch and witch's brew the first two I could have got wrong but I went with my best friend and she got Witch's Brew, which is like maple and vanilla. And I got a mudslide one. I know, not fall, but I was not feeling a fall flavor today. But I did get the mudslide one. It was like a mocha and caramel. It was really, really good. And that was my second coffee of the day. And now currently I'm on my third coffee of the day, which I made at home in my Keurig. And we always know when I make coffee in my Keurig, it's literally coffee coffee it's literally caramel macchiato nine times out of ten also guys i'm recording in a different area of my house so i don't know how the audio is gonna come out so let's just cross our fingers and really hope that i don't have to redo this it might sound a little echoey but honestly i just didn't i was really cozy in my bed so why not record in my bed if i'm cozy in my bed Sheffield, Sheffield. okay so before we get into tape blah 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 blah, blah. Before we get into today's case, well, first I want to tell you what I did today. I went flower picking at this cute little farm and I picked beautiful dahlias and I'm going to post them on the Instagram story. But guys, dahlias are my favorite flower and I was so excited and I also saw goats and I don't know if I told you guys, but goats are my favorite animal. And I had three coffees, so I'm very hyper, so just bear with me. And what else did I have to tell you guys? Oh yeah. The coolest thing happened. So I randomly get a DM on Instagram and a message on Facebook. Turns out I met a long lost relative for the second time due to the Pamela Nigro case. Not only is it super cool that I connected with a relative through the podcast, but what's even cooler is the fact that she is literally making a true crime podcast, her and her friend. So First of all, true crime junkies in the family, love that. And second of all, I'm definitely going to have her on the podcast at some point. And hopefully I'll be able to be on hers at some point. And maybe we can do like a nice collaboration. So keep your eyes and ears out for that because that would be fun. A little family crime action. Curious on your thoughts of the new Hocus Pocus 2. I have to rewatch it because I did fall asleep in the middle of it. I don't think that any Hocus Pocus will ever be able to match the original one, and I feel like that with a lot of movies, but I want to know your thoughts. 
and I'm going to rewatch it and give you a better analysis. Also, last side note before I get into this case, I promise. But you guys all know how I have that ghost phone case on my phone. Well, and if you didn't, now you do, but like I'm pretty sure you guys all knew. Well, someone said to me the other day I was out and they're like, oh my god, your phone case is so festive. And I like laughed and I was like, oh, thank you. But in my head, I'm like, bitch, I keep this on my phone year round, all four seasons, 24 hours a day. But yes, I'll let you believe it's a festive phone case and not a lifestyle. It's fine. I'm literally fine. Okay, rent's over. So yeah, sorry guys, my ADHD is like amplified today. So here we are. And on with the case. Today we are going to go over the kidnapping of Katie Beers. And it's actually a kidnapping survivor case. So we can go into this with light hearts knowing they survived. Katie Beers was born in Mastic Beach, Long Island, New York on December 30th, 1982. And she basically had it rough from the start. When Katie was only a baby, her mother abandoned her, leaving her with Linda, her godmother, and Linda's husband, Sal. However, this was definitely no fairy godmother. Instead, she treated Katie much like your modern-day Cinderella. Practically a fucking slave. Excuse my language. But Katie was expected to do their laundry, clean the house, cook the meals. Literally all starting at the age of four. At the age of two, Linda's husband began sexually abusing Katie regularly. When Katie confronted Linda about it, Linda became angry at Katie and honestly was just in denial. One time, Sal went as far as killing Katie's cat in front of her and made her watch. Things got worse for Katie at home after Linda had her leg amputated due to her diabetes. Due to this, Katie was forced to sleep on the couch and was even more neglected than she was before. Life was so hard for Katie and it honestly breaks my heart. Like, she just never had a chance. Her mom gave up on her. These people treat her like shit. And when you're that young, like, who do you turn to? So, I mean, when Katie did go to school, because she didn't go very often, she would show up dirty, she didn't smell very good, her teeth were all rotted, her haircut. I guess at one point, Linda and Sal had like cut her hair, but they basically chopped it off. And she wouldn't show up to school wearing weather-appropriate clothing. So she often didn't have a jacket, or wasn't wearing the right shoes, and didn't really have clothes that fit her. Some of the neighborhood kids even referred to Katie as Dirty Katie and Cockroach Kid. Like, people are so cruel and kids really just take the cake on that one. As if this girl doesn't have enough going on at home, she can't even escape it when she's at school. And I know a bunch of you are like, what the heck, like why didn't the teachers do anything? Well, in some reports they did. And CPS had been called a few times, but they would show up to Katie's house and as Katie would recall it, she couldn't really be honest with them because she was afraid. And when they would interview her in the home, which was the place of the abuse, she just like couldn't get herself to tell them what was actually going on. So obviously, I mean, she's not admitting to it and 
they can't really do anything without any evidence, so nothing came of the reports. Sometimes, this part's so messed up, guys. Sometimes Linda and Sal would literally lock her in the pantry when they went out. And she would have accidents, like there was no way to go to the bathroom. And they would beat her for having these accidents. At one point, Linda literally put a cigarette out on Katie, like on Katie's skin. Ugh. So the sick fucks that these people are would um, also make Katie watch pornography with them. And Sal would have her masturbate him. And Linda would masturbate while watching. Like, what? What? You guys are seriously so fucked in the head that this is just, I, I can't even. So on to it because I can't even process that. But as if the slavery and the in-house predator weren't bad enough, things got worse. John Esposito was 43 years old. He was a family friend and lived nearby. Katie would regularly go to his house where a few of the other neighborhood kids would hang out. And he literally, guys, so he lived in his garage, which I don't know why because he had a whole entire house. But he converted this garage into like basically his own apartment and he had games and junk food and everything that is appealing to kids. So the kids would always go over his house because why not? He has arcade games and video games and candy and whatever. So all the kids referred to him as Big John. And this is because he claimed to be part of the Big Brother and Big Sister program. But oddly enough, in John's house, the only TV that he had was in his bedroom. Yep, in his bedroom. So if kids wanted to play video games or watch TV, they had to go up to his bedroom. Do I need to tell you why? So backtrack, Katie also has a half-brother who is living with the mother, and he would also go over John's house. But, so it turns out later on that John was sexually abusing Katie's brother, who was also named John, so that's kind of where it gets confusing. And he never reported it. Katie still hung out with him, still went over the house. And she honestly felt like she could trust him. She literally called him her best friend. So at the age of nine, Katie ended up living with her bio mom half the time and Linda and Sal half the time. However, Katie's mom, her name is Marilyn, reported Sal to the police for the sexual abuse because Katie ended up telling her about it. And during this investigation, Sal was obviously forbidden to come into contact with Katie. And I'm not exactly sure if he ended up seeing Katie during the investigation or not it's not clear but Linda and Katie's mom Marilyn arranged a little like pre-birthday thing for Katie so Katie was to go over Linda's house a few days prior to her birthday so I don't know like whatever like split custody things so while she was there John Esposito kept trying to lure her over to the house he was like, oh, I have treats and gifts for you and blah, 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 blah. One day, Esposito even convinced Linda that he was going to take Katie out for her birthday. John told Linda that he was going to take Katie to Spaceplex. Spaceplex was a local Long Island arcade, and it also happened to be Katie's favorite place. Katie was a little hesitant about seeing John, but Linda basically was like, hey, like John's taking you out for the day, and Katie didn't want to argue with her, so she went. 
Instead of going to Spaceplex, John took Katie to the store. They bought a video game. Do we remember where she can play video games? Uh, yes, in his bedroom. That's what I thought. So they bought the video game. He brought her back to the house, into the bedroom. And as she's like preparing to play this video game, he comes up from behind her, whispers in her ear, I'm not going to hurt you, Katie. And this is when Katie knew, like, fuck, she's in trouble, game over. At this moment, John sexually attacked Katie for the first time. He then carried her downstairs, and when he was downstairs, he unscrewed a bookcase from the wall, and while he was doing this, Katie actually grabbed the phone and dialed 911, but he ended up catching her before she could even let it ring. Now, behind the bookshelf was a secret compartment in the ground underneath the rug. So basically, okay, you take the bookshelf off the wall. Behind that, like, where the ground is, you peel up a piece of vinyl, piece of rug, and then a piece of vinyl. And then there's, like, a secret compartment, but the door is made out of pure concrete. So it weighed about 200 pounds. In order for him to open it, he had, like, a little, like, levy thing. John forced Katie down the seven-foot shaft and down a six-foot-long tunnel. At the end of this tunnel was a box within a box. The outer surrounding box was concrete, and it measured about six feet high, six feet wide, and seven feet long. So this room, or whatever you want to call it, dungeon is what I call it, was soundproofed. And inside was a toilet, a TV, and another box. The other box was about two feet wide, seven feet long, and three feet high. And this is where Katie would stay unless he'd let her out. Katie actually was chained up by the neck, and the chain was bolted to the wall and padlocked around her neck. Katie recalls John saying to her, this is your home now. I built this for you. Now, in order for John's plan to work, he had to make sure he covered his tracks because he was the last one that anyone knew that was with Katie. He was last seen with Katie, so all eyes are about to be on him. So John made Katie record a message to Linda saying that she was kidnapped by a man with a knife and he was coming after her. So when she recorded it, he left her alone. So she says, okay. She records exactly what he wanted and then waited a very long pause and at the end of the message whispered, Big John has me at his house. But when John heard this part of the message because he replayed it, he hit Katie and made her re-record it. But like, smart fucking girl. So after he has the recording, he leaves Katie in the dungeon and drives straight to Spaceplex where he then, like, pretends to look around and, like, look for Katie. He even asked a manager that he got separated from Katie and he can't find her. Then he proceeds to a payphone where he dials Linda's number and plays the voice recording. Afterwards, he calls Linda, hysterically crying, saying that he lost Katie. So, like, this guy obviously... A, premeditated, premeditated as fuck, like you built a dungeon, 
and he already knew like eyes were going to be on him so he's preparing for the worst police arrive on the scene after linda calls 911 police search the entire vicinity had no luck almost as if she was never there in fact security cameras show esposito entering into spaceplex by himself and when police found out about the voice message from katie they immediately were like "Mm, this is weird and the reasons they thought it was so weird was there was no background noise and why would she have access to a phone if she was already being held by the kidnapper so the police immediately involved the FBI. They sent over the video me- or the video. They sent over the audio message to be thoroughly analyzed. And while waiting for the results from the FBI, investigators decided to focus on three main suspects. Can you guess who they are? Oh, did I say three? Make that four. Number one, Marilyn Beers, the incompetent mother. Number two, Linda Aguilari, the wicked godmother. Number three, Sal Aguilari, the sexual deviant already charged with sexually assaulting Katie. And last, but not least, number four, John Esposito, the creepy family friend who assaulted Katie's half-brother and not to mention was the last to be seen with her. Hmm. All very solid suspects, have to say. So, FBI found that the phone call from Katie came from Spaceplex on a payphone. However, there was no sign that she had been there, other than Esposito's word. And the odd thing is, it shows she apparently tried to call Linda 19 times before leaving that message. And on top of that, they also discovered that the call from Katie was, in fact, a voice recording. Meanwhile, inside the dungeon, Katie started to put the pieces together. She remembered about a year ago playing outside in a giant hole at Esposito's house with some of the other kids. And she realized... The hole was for the dungeon. Katie was so desperate to get out that she noticed one of the wooden panels was loose on the... So right now she's like in the little box inside the big box. So she kicked open the cabinet door. And even though like this was like a tiny step towards her freedom, she's still in the bigger box. So while she's out and about in the bigger box... She found a set of keys that she ended up hiding under her mattress, and she later found out that these keys opened the padlock around her neck. Like, first of all, John, how dumb are you that you would leave that there? But anyways, Katie was very careful when she would take the padlock off that she would make sure she counted how many links were around her neck so that when she did put it back on, it was the exact way that he had it, not to raise any suspicions. When Esposito returned to the dungeon, he noticed that the door was broken, so he decided to punish Katie for this, and he punished her by raping Katie for the very first time. 
The abuse continued every day, multiple times a day. The only thing that was keeping Katie sane was that she was allowed to keep the TV on. But the messed up part was she would keep the news on and watch her own case unfold on TV. As the case continued, Marilyn Beers, Linda, and Sal and Gleary all had solid alibis. So police zoned in on Esposito. They ended up obtaining a search warrant and searched his entire house and the garage and found nothing. But when they did a background check on him, things started to light up. Esposito actually was denied a spot in the Big Brother and Sister program. Want to know why? Because he fucking abducted a seven-year-old child 15 years prior. Like, why is this guy allowed around children? Let me know. As police narrowed in on Esposito even more now, like, they're like, this is the guy. You could tell he started to get nervous. He literally told Katie, he's like, I want to take a picture of you while you're sleeping so I can leak it to the police and the world will think that you're dead and they'll stop looking for you. Which, okay, I'm pretty sure that's not how it works, but okay, John. So, obviously, Katie was like, no, you're not getting that photo. So, she would force herself to stay awake because she was like, I can't fall asleep because he'll get that picture out and I need to make sure I get out of here. As Katie started to realize the intensity of the situation, and as more time kept passing, she could see John spiraling. So this is when Katie decided she had to do something. Katie started to manipulate him. She would get in his head and ask him questions about her future. Like, where would she go to school? How would she get a job? She wanted to get married and have kids. How would she do that? And John basically used himself as the answer to literally every single question. Even saying when Katie turned 18, he would marry her and have kids with her. Like, ew, John. Katie literally goes, no, I don't want that. Like, good for you, girl. But between the pressure Katie was putting on him and the pressure from the police, he was he was cracking under pressure, guys. He even told Katie that he was planning on killing himself or running away, but he couldn't stay there. And this is when Katie knew, like, She can't let that happen because then she's stuck in here and left for dead. So Katie said, John, I'm sick. I'm not feeling well. I need to go to a hospital. And after all of this, like he is just being hammered left and right with people badgering him and questioning him and searching his property. He wasn't ready for this. His plan wasn't working. And just like that, John confessed to his lawyer telling him that Katie was behind his wall and he led police to Katie. When Katie was safe, she told police absolutely everything. She was in there for a total of 17 days. 17 days. Hardly eating, hardly sleeping. Couldn't tell if it was day or night because she was so deep underneath the ground. Esposito ended up entering into a plea deal because they wanted to spare Katie from possibly being re-victimized during her trial. 
So he pleaded guilty and charged with kidnapping in the first degree on June 16, 1994. He was sentenced to 15 years to life, but they didn't charge him with anything else because that was part of the plea. However, it wasn't until 2013 that Esposito finally admitted to sexually assaulting Katie. And oddly enough, around the same time, he died in jail. And in 1994, guys, the justice is rolling. Are you ready? 1994, Sal was sentenced to 4 to 12 years for two counts of sexual assault and two counts of child endangerment. He also died in prison in 2009. Unfortunately, that's where our justice ends and Linda was never charged. Although I feel like she should be because she 100% played just as much of a just as much of a role in this. Soon after, Katie was placed into foster care, and she even says that this was her saving grace. She also says that everything that she had gone through her entire life prepared her to survive this too. Today, Katie is a best-selling author. Her book is called Berry Memories, and I do need to read this because I was reading like bits and pieces of it online from what I could find, but I want to read the whole book because it's very well written and she's been through like a heck of a lot and I would love to hear like things more from her perspective. But besides being an author of a best-selling book, she also works with the Center for Missing and Exploited Children and she is happily married with two kids and is very close with her foster family. She says that she's happy and she doesn't wish anything in her life happened any differently because it made her into into who she is today and that is the story of katie beers people who do stuff like this to children are like the absolute scum of the fucking earth like below murderers like below anything like you are taking such a pure and innocent soul and corrupting it and damaging it for the rest of their lives like yes like they can go to therapy like they can get help but a piece of them will always be broken because of you and i think that's like the most messed up thing you can do but like looking at katie's story now and seeing how she is now with her kids and like she's helping other children around the world i really like this story makes me happy because just like jamie kloss katie beers saved herself and that is the best part of the whole story so sit on that guys let me know what you think so yeah it is spooky season have i ever told you that oh yeah i did a million times because i'm not over it all right i'm gonna go watch hocus pocus 2 like i told you guys i would i'm gonna edit this podcast so i can post it for you as always keep it spooky (laughs) 